Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. All right, that's pretty good. Good crowd, too. Um, it's been a blessed week. I mean, it's been exhausting, but it's been fantastic. VBS all week, over 100 and some kids here every day. Uh, Michelle and then Sarah and all the rest of the volunteers just knocked it out of the park. They did a fantastic job. That was a great blessing. We've had, uh, you saw Joey Hammond, his video up there, his testimony. Joey actually, you can keep this in prayer. Joey is actually on his way right now to Honduras on a missions trip. Uh, so be praying for him. Also, uh, another couple, um, a couple people in our church. I can't say who, I can't say what, I can't say where, but God knows there's a couple from our church that are traveling right now, and they have an amazing business opportunity this week. I mean, truly amazing. Uh, it would be great for them. It would be great for Portsmouth. So just keep them in your prayer. All right. We are going on with our, or this is the last sermon in our series, Game Plan. Next week we start a new sermon series on prayer. And we've got all kinds of cool things lined up over, the ne- over this summer. We're looking at software right now to try to get that in the computer up top to, to, so that you guys can actually text questions in during the sermon. And we'll take a few minutes at the end of the sermon to answer those. That's going to come soon. Uh, Till then, this is going to be at the end, until we get that, at the end of the sermon, I'll just sit my butt right there and you just come ask any question you want. And Because this morning we're talking about the Bible and, and how to look at the Bible and the wisdom in the Bible. And you, you need to understand something. I started reading the Bible when I was a new Christian in 1997. And, and even then, for many years, I just basically did what I wanted to do. As a young Christian, those first couple years, I just did what I wanted to do. Most of us do that. And I learned the hard way that that was a stupid thing to do. Maybe you're like me. I'm, I'm stubborn. I don't know where I get that, Dad. But um, I'm, I'm stubborn, and I learn the hard way. A couple of things I've learned the hard way. Like, for example, if you've ever been online and one of those pop-ups come up offering you a free IQ test, whether you click it is the IQ test, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, you know, number two, it doesn't matter you know, how badly you've got to go to the restroom. If you pull in a public restroom and somebody comes out of that restroom sweating, do not go into that bathroom, okay? Just a couple of things I've learned the hard way. Here's another thing I learned the hard way. A couple years ago, I started uh, weightlifting, um, wanted to get in shape, and I just jumped in and started doing stuff. And as a result, I jacked up my knee, I jacked up my shoulder, and I've got all these kind of reoccurring injuries. I've got fluid on my knee right now. I'm going to have to have drained and all that kind of stuff because I did not really pay attention to what I was supposed to do. I did not go look to somebody who knew what they were doing. And so this week when somebody told me, a friend of mine told me that he wanted to get into weightlifting, the first thing I did was we got to go see Jeremy Slusher because and, and, Jeremy's a fitness trainer who comes to this church. He's not here this weekend. He took his boy to a basketball camp, but I took this guy down to see Jeremy throw up that video, and uh, that's Jeremy if you recognize him, and he's showing Patrick from Uganda how to deadlift. 
And so Patrick wanted to learn how to lift weights. He's got a gym over at KCU. And, and so I, what I did not want Patrick to do was just jump in there and end up hurting himself like I hurt myself. And so I took Patrick down there, and, and Jeremy showed him the proper form, right? It's wise if you want to do this, if you want to get into any kind of exercise program, to find an expert who knows what they're doing and show you how to do it, all right? Now, um, it's, let's put it this way. If, let's say, you got the opportunity... You can cut that video off. That's right, guys. Yet, let's say you got the opportunity to coach football, peewee, junior high, high school, and you were then given the opportunity to meet with, say, Don Shula. The reason I bring up Don Shula, some of you, how many of you remember who Don Shula was, right? Yeah, coach of the Miami Dolphins for years, the only coach who had a perfect season, 14 and 0, and you had the opportunity to go and sit down with him and learn something about coaching. Wouldn't you take that? Yes. Yeah, of course, right? You know, the reason I bring up Don Shula is when Bear Bryant, the Bear Bryant, was asked, who's the greatest coach? He shocked the interviewer. The interviewer thought he'd say, well, me, obviously. But Bear Bryant said, no, Don Shula is the greatest coach ever. And they asked Bear Bryant, why is that? He said, because he can take his team and beat yours, then he can take your team and beat his. (laughs) He said, that's how good he is. It's always wise to look to experts in anything that you do. Now, as some of you may know, I love, 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 love mixed martial arts. I never let a UFC, you know, fight go by. I watch all the time. I love it. And I, you know, and I wanted to just learn some of the moves and stuff like that just to know them, you know, just in case dad gets out of line in his old age. And so I, I just wanted to learn all this stuff. And so I called up a guy, and I was like, okay, you know, how do I even begin doing this? I'm 44 years old. i got a jacked-up knee. i got a jacked-up shoulder. How do I even go about starting this? He goes, well, what kind of learner are you? I mean, how do you typically learn things. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I'm going to prejudice you even more. I'm a raging geek, right? I love to read. He said, is it even possible to read about mixed martial arts? He said, yeah, absolutely. He said, in fact, any martial artist, anybody who wants to do martial arts, I tell them to pick up one book. It is the book by the greatest martial artist of all time, Bruce Lee's book on fighting. How many of you remember Bruce Lee? All right, some of you do. If you don't know who Bruce Lee is, let me show you something. This is Bruce Lee. This is a video of Bruce Lee playing ping pong with nunchucks and winning. Look at this. Not only does he play ping pong with nunchucks against one guy, in a minute he'll be playing against two, and he'll win. All right, now, you may be fit, you may be cool, you are not I play ping pong with nunchucks cool, right? Look at that. Greatest martial artist of all time, bar none. And before you go throw Chuck Norris at me, Chuck Norris will tell you the greatest martial artist of all time was Bruce Lee. And he actually sparred with Bruce Lee several times. And he'll say there was no one like Bruce Lee. So if you wanted to learn martial arts, where you would begin is the best. You would go to the expert, the greatest who ever lived. And even though he's no longer with us, he died decades ago, he's still the best. Bruce Lee is still the best, and that's where you would go for if you wanted to learn, right? In any area of life, it is always wise to look to experts. Unfortunately, what we end up doing is we usually do what we want to do when we try to find, handpick some expert who will say that's okay. We do that, right? We're really good at self-justifying, self-justifying, excuse me, right? We do that. 
And any opportunity that pops up in front of us, if it's something we, we really want, we tend to think, oh, this must be a God thing. God has given me this. It must be. And a relationship, a job, an opportunity. We think if it's what we want, it must be from God. But is that always the case? Let's look at 1 Samuel 24. That's where we're going to go today. 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. A little backstory here. Uh, if you don't know, of course, we're looking at the story of David and Saul. Now, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people to reach out to the rest of the world. They asked for a king. And so God gave them exactly what they wanted. He chose a king who they thought would be the best king, a warrior, a guy that was a head taller than anybody else, a guy named Saul. But Saul was disobedient, and so God said, I'm going to remove him as king, and I'm going to put someone else in his place. And he handpicks a little shepherd boy named David, famous for knocking down a guy named Goliath with a sling, right? He says, David, you're going to be king. David ends up in Saul's army. He's this greatest warrior Saul has. People are writing songs about him. They're everywhere he goes. He's becoming famous. Saul gets jealous, tries to kill him, and David and his loyal followers are on the run. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They're hiding in a cave, and that's where we pick up 1 Samuel 24, 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men, that's big force back then, from all Israel, and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, there are caves everywhere there. And David is on the run. Saul comes in by himself. And the reason this is going on is, is Jews believed that it was shameful to be naked in public. And so what they would do is that they had to go, number two, is they would rip off their, you know, their robe or cloak or whatever, and they would find a cave and go number two in the cave, which meant there probably weren't a lot of Jewish cave explorers in Israel, I'm guessing. <laughs> and so what you need to understand is that warriors in Israel had two major weapons. They had a long sword that was primarily used for battering more than it was for anything else, and they also carried a long dagger. They would have a long dagger that they would stuff in their cloak, roughly about this size. And, and in fact, Jews up through the first century would do this. They were called sakari, dagger men. And often, because they could hide it so easily in their robe, often what would happen in the first century when Rome was occupying Israel is that if you were an Israeli freedom fighter, you would come up behind a Roman official or somebody you thought was a Jewish traitor who had sold out to Rome, you'd come up, slip out your dagger, pop them a couple times, and walk on. And so David is hiding in a cave. Probably it's hot, it's in the middle of the day, they're probably just getting a break from the heat, and look up, and there's Saul, naked, crouched over doing his business. And David's men had to be like, this is it, man. Are you kidding me? David, go get him. Get your dagger. Go take him out. This is poetic justice. Not only are you going to become king, you're going to kill the guy while he's on his throne, right? <laughs> so they're all going, go get him. Verse 4. These men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed. And what does he do? Instead of killing Saul, he cuts off 
a corner of Saul's robe and backs away. Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He's got guilt for doing this. This guy's trying to kill him. Verse 6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. He is the king's chosen king. He is God's chosen, and only God should remove him. That's what David believed, a conscience formed by prayer and by scripture and by worship, saying, I can't do this. This is only for God to do. And he put his dagger away, and he even felt bad for cutting off part of his robe. Verse 7. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Because you know what they're doing, right? They're going all Scott Evil from that, you remember the cinematic classic Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, right? Remember Scott Evil was like telling Dr. Evil, it's like, why are you just putting him in that shark tank? I'll go get my gun. We'll shoot him in the head. We'll do it together. Come on, let's go. David's men are going, you won't do it? Fine, I'll do it. David said, nope. Sit, you do not touch the Lord's anointed. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Verse 8, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. This is a sign of respect and honor. Verse 9, he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me to take down my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Verse 14. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. He is standing right there. Saul's men could rush and kill him, but he is trusting God because God told him, I will make you king when the time comes. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you surely will be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, and Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, you're looking at that. Any one of us who are in David's position would think it's just common sense. This is just a God thing. This is an opportunity. This is what I do. But David believed the word of God taught otherwise. See, David knew this. Anything before us, anything laid before you, no matter how good it looks, 
No matter how lucky or strange or auspicious it is that it's right there, no matter what, no, anything before us that conflicts with God's word is not truly an opportunity but a temptation. Anything laid before you that con- contradicts the word of God is not an opportunity but a temptation. Because the Bible is the very words of God. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16 says this. That your Bible, what you hold in your hands, if you hold a Bible, you've got a Bible app on your phone, what you have there are the words of the creator of the universe sent from the throne of heaven to you. You possess wisdom beyond wisdom. So, if it's just we know that we should look to experts in any area, shouldn't we look to God where in any area he has spoken to? Because doesn't he always know best because he knows everything? And that he loves you and wants you to be well? So, shouldn't we look there? We need to look to the Bible. Now, the Bible doesn't speak to every area on every subject. The Bible's not going to teach you martial arts. It's not going to teach you weightlifting. It's not going to teach you, you know, different plays in football. But where it does speak, it is the ultimate authority. Okay, but you can object. All right, Matt, fine. But... How do I understand it? I don't know. The Bible's thousands of years old. I start reading it. You know, I get there, I get confused. I don't know what they're talking about. How do I apply it to my life? You don't have to struggle with that. People have already gone before you and done that. There are great ministries out there to help you apply the Bible to different areas of your life. What are you struggling with? Are you struggling with family, finances, sexual temptations? Godly people have already put together ministries to help you out. For example, let's say you're struggling with finances, and I'm sure many of you are. You may be in debt. you got credit card debt. You're barely making minimum payments. You're barely getting by. There's a great ministry out there, DaveRamsey.com. Dave Ramsey is a Christian man who specializes in helping people get out of debt, get a budget that is not just balanced, But actually, he will get you to the place where you are living on 80% of your income so that you can save 10% and give away 10%. And that's a biblical mandate. So if you want to know what God has to say on finances, you go to DaveRamsey.com. If you're struggling with sexuality, temptation, and it's a huge problem. One survey I saw this week said that 50% of self-identified Christians regularly look at pornography online. 50% of men, 20% of women, Christian women, self-identified. You can go to triplexchurch.com. Now, um, just so you know, you probably shouldn't type in a Google search of triplexchurch.com at your work. (laughs) That's probably going to get flagged, right? But you can do it at home, triplexchurch.com. They have software that you can download, accountability software, where you can pick an accountability partner and it will send to that partner any sites you have visited that are labeled as pornographic. So if you're a man and you're struggling with that and your wife's your accountability partner, you suddenly have real motivation not to go on those sites because she's going to see it. Right? And you can't just subscribe and unsubscribe because if you try to unsubscribe for a day, it'll send an email saying, hey, he unsubscribed. 
There's no way around this. But it's there to help you avoid that temptation. They also have an active ministry where they reach out into the porn community to help try to get them out of pornography. And they've done a great job with that. They've gotten several women out of that. They have a thing called the Esther Fund where they help get them out, get them educated, get them a place to live, all that kind of stuff. If you're struggling with your marriage, there's a great ministry called FamilyLife.com. They sponsor a thing called Weekend to Remember. Anyone who gets married at this church has to attend a Weekend to Remember because it, I'm telling you, I talk to the people who go, it's got a 1,000 batting average, man. People love it. They really help you with your marriage. If you're struggling with your kids and relationships inside your family, the name says it all. Focus on the family. Focus on the family. Still around. They've really shifted their focus. They used to be really, when James Dobson was the head of it, they, they hammered a lot of political issues, that kind of stuff. They've gotten away from that and gone back to how do you raise godly kids? How do you, you know, deal with raising kids in, in the society that we're in? And they do a wonderful job. And there are many other ministries out there depending on what you're struggling with. And just reading the Bible, studying the Bible, as Rick showed you last week in his sermon, if you, if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. He, he gave you a couple resources last week, like Bible.org, where you can go. Well, it will help you understand Scripture. And you need to understand this. Not only is this, this is not just about you. This is not about you just getting wisdom and you living a wise life. It's about how you affect the people around you. Because anytime you reject God's Word and you sin... Sin is never an isolated event. It always affects other people around you. And you can wreck relationships. It's not just about you. If you don't follow God's game plan, you're not just going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. Now, we were blessed a couple weeks ago to have Cedric Pierman uh, here with us. Did a tremendous job. How many Bengals fans have I got here say who day? Yeah, oh, come on. We got to do better than that. Um, you Browns fans, you guys need to repent. Um, Steelers fans, there's just no hope for you. But anyway, um, but you know if you were a Bengal fan, you were watching the playoff game this last year, and it just broke your heart because the Bengals really didn't lose. They gave it away. The Steelers didn't win that game. The Bengals beat themselves with penalties, right? How many remember this one? Roll it. Started, was talking on the sideline the whole time it seemed like to Vontez Whoa. perfect and yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, I was watching this with Jim Bates and Jay Bastine. We were just going, yes. no. Of course. No. Perfect Blake. stop. Out of control. Out of control. It's going to be everything. That's going to be suspension, fine. Three-game suspension, huge penalty, put the, helped put the Steelers in field goal range. Now, I understand what Burford was thinking. I hate the Steelers. There's a Steeler. I'm hitting them. I get it. I want to do the same thing, right? I, I totally get it. But what did he do? Because he broke the rules. It didn't just hurt him. It's not just about his three-game suspension. He cost the entire team the game. 
When you sin, it's not just about you. It's about your family. It's about your church family. It's about the people you work with. Sin is never isolated. When you ignore the wisdom of God, you don't just hurt yourself. You hurt those around you. Does that make sense? And what sense does it make to ignore the word of God? To argue with God? I mean, you drove in this morning. There's, there's a river he created. There are hills he created. He created. Can you do that? Why are you arguing with him? Anytime you sin, you're saying, I know better than you, God. I know what's better for my life than you do. Now, my son turns 13 today. I got permission from him to use this story when he was about three years old. We, I was having a lot of problems with him because the, he is, his temperament matches his hair. He's a redhead, and he's got a fiery temper, had one from a young age. And spanking the kid did no good whatsoever. I mean, I about wore my hand out on that kid's butt, and he would just look up and go, is that all you got? Because I can do this all day. Your hand's going to give out before my butt, Dad. And he was right. And I was like, how do I? So I went to, I actually went to, uh, read a book by James Dobson. Great book, Strong-Willed Child or something like that. Great book. I went, I read that book, and I said, okay, i got to find the button here. Dobson's a big advocate of spanking, but he says, hey, sometimes that doesn't work, so you've got to find what works to discipline your child. I found out really quick, taking away TV and toys was the apocalypse, all right? And my son would get so mad if he wouldn't do something, and I'd take his toys away and make him sit on his bed. He'd just start screaming and yelling. He would do this thing at me. I don't know what this was. Somehow he's going to, like, use the Jedi mind trick or something. He's going... And then he'd get really mad, and he'd try to call me names. But at three, he really didn't know that many. So the worst he'd come up, he'd go, poopy sack wiener. <laughs> the first time he did it, I, I went outside and just started laughing so hard. I was like, I can't encourage this, but that's funny. Poopy sack wiener. Just sitting there with his hand, little hand out, poopy sack wiener. Yeah, it doesn't accomplish anything other than giving me a giggle, you know. But you know what you're doing when you ignore God's advice that he has given you and you just say, I know best? You're basically looking up the clouds and going, poopy sack wiener. That's the, that's the equivalent of what you're doing. It's stupid, it accomplishes nothing, and it makes no sense. What is a poopy sack wiener? It doesn't make any sense. To ignore God's word doesn't make any sense. And don't sit there and tell me, yeah, but that, that book is really old. It just doesn't apply anymore. It's not relevant, really. Hebrews 4.12 says this. Throw it up there, guys. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is coming from the eternal God saying, my word is always active, always. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account God is timeless, and because of that, he has seen all of eternity. And so when he wrote, had his word written down, it addresses people everywhere throughout eternity. It is always relevant. Always. 
Now, every time that I preach on looking to the Bible for wisdom and guidance in life, what we're calling game plan here, I always get this question. Yeah, but will it tell me God's will for my life? That's always a big question pastors get. What is God's will for my life? Look, the Bible is going to give you wisdom there too. It's not going to specifically tell you who you should marry, where you should go to college, what you should study. It may tell you the kind of person you should marry, you know, the kind of things you should study. It may tell you that, but it's not going to give you the specific path. But it will do this. Let me tell you what God's will is always for everyone, anywhere, anytime. And that is for you to help bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go to the ends of the earth. All of us are always to be making disciples. And here at Christ Community Church, we have made it really simple for you to do this. You don't have to be a Christian apologist like Joey Hammond, though that's a good thing to learn because if you're reaching out to people about you know, 18 to 30, their biggest question is, but why, but why, but why? And Joey is equipping himself to answer those questions, earning that master's degree in apologetics, and he's doing a great job. And there's, there's apologetic resources out there. Another ministry you can go to, coldcasechristianity.com. Our friend Jay Warner Wallace, who was here just two years ago, his website packed full of information. That's great to do, but you don't have to do all that. All you have to do is invite someone to church, somebody who doesn't have a church home, invite them here Make sure that you're going to be here and make sure you save them a seat. People feel a little intimidated to come to a church for the first time, but if you're there to welcome them and they know they're sitting with you, they'll be cool. And so you just invite them, and then when it's all over, you take them to the visitor's table. You have them fill one of these things out. We will give them a $25 gift certificate to Mexitali. As I've said, we are not above below bribing people for Jesus. We're fine with that. We are fine with that. I had somebody get offended. They said, oh, you're paying people to go to church. And then the guy who was sitting across from me said, well, how much is a soul worth? And so we'll give that $25 gift certificate, and then we have their information. We'll contact them. A member of the staff will go, bring them a gift bag, sit down, answer any questions, talk to them. Hopefully it'll be Rick or Ralph, the nice ones, right? And so they'll go and sit down and visit with them, and we'll find out where they are, and then we will work on getting them right there into that baptistry. If you look at those numbers, those are going up this week. We had two new families who have committed to be members of Christ. So, we got, so we're going up to 34 this week. We've got another three or four people lined up for baptisms over the next month or so. We're doing it. It's happening. And all you have to do is invite them to church. It's not hard. If you want to learn how to do it, Jay Vastine's not here this week. He's on vacation with his family. Jay Vastine is a church invite machine. And when I am at the gym, Jay literally invites every single person he talks to. I saw Jay walk up to two uh, people who, who he knew were going through some stuff, and he's sitting there talking. And I walk by two minutes in the conversation. You want to come to church with me? You want to come to church with me? You know, and, and he's just always inviting people to church. What's the worst they can do? Say no? Are you that insecure? Come on. You're talking about looking to experts. Even Dr. Phil would call you a wuss. Don't do that. Come on. Just invite them and get them back there, and then we'll get them in baptistry, and then you will have one day, 
If you are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you're not, come and talk to me. And if you need to know what that means, that means that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to earth, died on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of anyone who places their faith in him so that there is no more punishment, no fear of hell. If you become a Christian, you place your faith in Jesus. Jesus has paid the penalty. He has promised to resurrect you from the grave just as he was resurrected. What do you have? You don't even have death to fear anymore, man. Just get them here. And in the meantime, in the meantime, get your finances in order. Go to DaveRamsey.com. Download accountability software. Listen to advice from, from Christian experts who look to the Bible and their field to help you with your family. I said, this is wisdom. Wisdom from the throne of heaven itself. Any opportunity laid before you is not truly an opportunity but a temptation unless it is approved by God's word. So until Jesus returns for us, we try to live wisely by looking to the God who literally knit us together in our mother's womb and loved us so much that he died for us. I understand you, you probably look to all kinds of experts in your life. You look to Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, Ellen, whatever. You look to these people for wisdom and advice. Here's the thing. You may encounter all kinds of smart people. They're not God smart. Only God is God smart. And so if he has spoken, that's the final word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in grace you created us. In grace upon grace you died for us and gave an offer to all people that they could come to faith in you, pledge loyalty to you, and that you would save them, not only save them from hell, but bring them into heaven to live with you forever without fear of death, sickness, temptation. And then grace upon grace upon grace you have given us your word you have given us 66 books packed full of eternal wisdom to help us all live wise lives that bring honor and glory to you. And I pray now that if anyone here that doesn't, is not in a saving relationship with you, that they will come forward, come talk to me. I pray that you will give them the wisdom to submit to you as king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks. Before you go, remember, if you're, if you're unchurched, you don't have a church home, and you're a first-time visitor here, you're a visitor here, please go back to the table. Rick and Cindy are back there. Go and fill this out if you would. Be generous with the less fortunate as you go. God bless you. God goes with you.